I'm Karen Waldhart, and pastor of Women's Ministries, and um, I love this room. How many of you remember the olden days when this was, yeah, our main sanctuary? I know. And um, somebody, you're sitting in my seat, actually. Um, we used to sit right there, but it's okay, because um, I'm so comfortable in this room, not because of the history only, but because we do Kairos in here, too, and God has spoken to me in very precious ways here. And so I believe that um, this is going to be fun. I believe it's going to be revealing. And I know people who come on Wednesday night are hungry for the word. Amen? All right. So I'm excited to be here with you. But I love to teach about knowing Jesus. And you know, I like to say to know him is to love him. Can you say that with me? To know him is to love him. And you know, actually PowerPoint number one here, Paul said it a little bit differently, but he said in Philippians 3.8, he says, but more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. For his sake, I have lost everything and I consider it all garbage, old garbage, so that I may gain Christ. I love this study. We're going, to, we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're going to be able to witness him revealing himself through the seven I am statements that he makes in the book of John. And so I kind of like to think of this as good old-fashioned Bible study. How many of you are ready for that? So the seven I am statements are not found in any of the other Gospels. And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a phrase that you can use to really impress your friends, okay, when they ask you what it was about tonight. It is uniquely Johninian. It means it's only found in the book of John. I found that, for sure. Most scholars agree that the book of John was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that was John. And you know what? The only person who ever called him the disciple whom Jesus loved was John himself. But see, that's the confidence he had in relationship that he had with Jesus. The main purpose of the book of John is actually found near the end of the book. And it says, these things are written. The whole book of John was written for this purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Oh, we're going to see that word over and over and over. Do you know and can you agree with me that Jesus is all about life? Pay attention to how many times we hear that word. But it establishes the divinity of Jesus as God, the son of the living God, so that believers can receive and be saved. And Christ over and over has to establish himself equal with God. And that didn't go over so well with some of the church people, as we're going to find out. So the origin of the I am statements are found, also found in the Old Testament. So we're going to first go back um, into the Old Testament in Exodus 3.11. And this is where God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. Okay, so you know the story. Um, baby in the basket found by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace while his people were slaves and suffering. And yet Moses kind of did something really bad and ended up killing an Egyptian. I'm sorry, 
Yeah. <laughs> and he fled because he was afraid for his life. And now he'd been wandering in the, in the wilderness for lo these many years. And God intercepts him with the burning bush. And now God is sending Moses to the Israelites. Moses is afraid to go to his own people because he did not think that they would accept him because he was supposed to tell them that I'm your new leader. Da, 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 da. And they're going to say, as Moses says, who am I? He says, who are you? And God tells Moses to say this. Behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And here's what God says to Moses. He says, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites, I am has sent you. I am, period. That's all they need to know. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. And by the way, Popeye was not the first to say that. I am that I am. No, that was, that was Exodus first. So now we find Jesus being challenged by the Pharisees, and they ask him, same question, who are you? Who do you think you are? And Jesus responds, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they say to him, but you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? Let's go to the second PowerPoint. This is John 8, 58. Jesus says this to them, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is not the great I was. He is and still is today the great I am. Amen? And so Jesus is making a proclamation about who he is to the Pharisees who already didn't care for Jesus' teaching. And Jesus is definitely equating himself equal with God. Now, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself because it wasn't yet his time. But even the violent response of the Jews to Jesus' I am statement indicates that they clearly understood that he was saying the same I am that you saw in Exodus, I am today. But Jesus did not commit blasphemy. If it weren't true, they would have a right to stone him. But he is God. He was God. He is God. The second person of the Godhead, equal to the Father in every way. See, that's our Jesus. That's part of our priceless gain of getting to know Jesus. You know, there is nothing, like Paul says, nothing more important. And you know, I know a lot of us have been walking with God for a long time. I'm going to challenge you to allow God to reveal Jesus maybe in a way that you've never seen him before as we walk through these seven I am statements. You know, Jesus had a big job ahead of him because uh, his ministry really only lasted about three and a half years. So he had three and a half years to get the message out. <laughs> and he did it very, very um, confidently. He knew who he was, and he knew he was, it was another step closer to the cross. So let's look at the seven I am statements found in the book of John. Let's go to number three. All right. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Now, I've got three weeks to do seven I am's. And so if I do the math right, I better hurry up. But Jesus was consistent. He was clear and powerful. And he, ex he expressed it exactly the same way every single time. I am. I am. Now let's go to the, um, well, let me just say this. When you're studying the Bible, anytime you see repetition like that, it's to help us focus on what is very very important. So let's go on to the next slide because we're going to talk about the other word that is repeated. And it's that tiny little three-letter word, the. But this is a very, very powerful part of Jesus' powerful statements here. He did not say, I am a bread of life and I am a light of the world because that would indicate that there are many lights of the world. But no, he said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. There are no other good shepherds. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the world hates that one because they want us to believe that we're being intolerant and narrow-minded if we don't believe that all roads lead to heaven. But the truth is, before Jesus, there were no roads to heaven. And he, he threw us the only rescue that there was. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is not a way, a truth, and a life. There are not many truths, there is only one truth, and it is Jesus. Can I hear an amen? All right, I am the true vine, not any old vine. He is the true vine. And there's so much truth packed into each one of these um, statements that Jesus is making about himself. You might picture Jesus kind of randomly, you know, walking through the marketplace and, and, and just standing in the middle of there and saying, I am the light of the world. That would have been very random, okay? What I want to do as we study this, I want us to consider three statements or three questions. And let's go to the next slide. We want to ask ourselves about each one of these statements, what is the context? So something happened before, something happened after that makes this statement make all the sense. And we get the full power and the impact when we know what the context of it is. The second is, who's Jesus speaking to? You know, sometimes Jesus sounded like he was just quoting the law, but most of the time it depended who he was talking to. So when um, the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Because I've already done this, I've already done that, I've already done all the things and I've kept the law. Jesus answered him in the law. But see, the law was given to, to bring us to the place where we realize it's impossible. You know, although the law, the law is holy, it does not have the power to make us holy. And it, it was given so that we need, we, we recognize our need for a savior. So Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and come follow me. And the rich young ruler didn't like that part of the law. But so it is important to know who Jesus is speaking to. And the third one is, how does this truth impact my life? So let's continue here. The first I am that we're going to be talking about is, next slide, 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst anymore at any time. But the context, what comes before, and don't say John 5. I mean, what comes before in the, in the uh, progression of, of events? And the one really fun thing about the book of John is this. It reads very chronologically. So you're going to see phrases like, after that and in the evening and the next day. So we're getting a chronological order of events going on here. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin in John 6, and he, the chapter begins like this, after this. And the after this was found in verse five, or excuse me, chapter five, where Jesus had just healed a man who had been lame for 38 years, lying on a mat next to the um, pool of Bethesda. You know the story. Jesus said, rise up and walk and take your bed and walk. And so miracles, miracles, miracles. Jesus was walking in so many miracles. And there were lots of people that were starting to notice and crowds were beginning to follow him. Some were just curiosity seekers. Some wanted him to feed them. them. Um, and some just wanted healing. And some were being transformed and beginning to believe that, yes, Jesus was truly the Messiah. But in chapter 6, we read that Jesus went into, um, across the Sea of Galilee, and the same crowd that had been building and building followed him. So Jesus and his disciples are in the boat. They reach the other side. About the same time, the crowd catches up with Jesus, and he sees this vast multitude coming toward him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all these people may eat? Now, the next verse says, he said this, not because he didn't know, but he was, to, he was proving Philip, for he well knew what he was about to do. I've noticed that when Jesus um, uh, is about to uh, reveal himself, he oftentimes asks a question. He helps people uh, come to the place where they're beginning to think and to wonder, and then he gives them the truth. So he's prepping Philip and the disciples for what's about to happen. And Philip says, hey, we've got 200 pennies worth of, and that wouldn't even buy enough bread for everyone to receive even a little. And another of um, the disciples said, hey, there's a little boy here who has a happy meal. Okay, there's five loaves of barley and two small fish. That's a happy meal, right? That's a fish witch. But we don't often think or say about that to God, do we, about ourselves and our resources? Don't we say, how is so little going to make any difference in the kingdom? You might think, I only have a little bit of talent. I don't have a lot of money. What, what can a little bit do? But what Jesus was about to demonstrate, that little becomes much in the hands of Jesus. So Jesus says, make the people sit down. And the, the number that um, the Bible reports is 5,000, but as we know, apparently they only counted men. And so if every man had a wife, that would be 10,000 people. And if every family represented there had one child, that would be 15,000 people. And if they had two children, which was probably more likely, or at least the average, we're, con we're talking easily anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people that were about to get fed. What an amazing miracle. 
And Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. You know, sometimes I sit down and I forget to give thanks before I eat. But Jesus did, and I want to do the same. And then he began to give and give and give and give. And then the next disciple came and he filled up that basket and he gave them the fish and he gave them the bread and he just kept on giving. And the people kept eating and eating and eating and eating. And Jesus kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And they ate and they ate until everyone was fully satisfied, the Bible said. This was no snack. This was a full-out meal from one little boy's lunch. And the Bible says when they all had had enough, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the leftovers. And there were even leftovers, which is a part of the miracle. You see, you would think right now Jesus would stand up and say, I am the bread of life. He did it. <laughs> he did teach the people. And the people began to realize what had happened. And again, they wanted to seize him and bring him um, into their earthly way of thinking of a king. They wanted Jesus to be their earthly king, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus was the kind of king that got his hands dirty. He went after the lost, the dying, the lepers, those who had been lying, lame for years, the blind, the outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes. He went after them. That's the kind of king our Jesus is. And so Jesus, I want, to, I want to bring this truth about this. When Jesus gave and gave and gave and the people received it, I think sometimes we feel guilty for asking God for big things. And if we think, no, God, you know, just a little bit is enough, when we don't realize that God and Jesus, they want to give and give and give. Jesus wants to give over and above everything that we can ask or think. He not only calls us conquerors, he calls us more than conquerors. So we can't limit the bread of life. So what ends up happening is that Jesus goes alone to pray. The um, disciples wait long enough, and they finally decide, we're going to leave. They get in the boat. The people see that Jesus is not with him, and they start back across the, the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle of the lake, three or four miles out, it says a great storm arose. And they were not getting anywhere, a great wind. And suddenly they say, Jesus, they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. Okay, can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, we can read through that and not even picture what that could possibly have meant. But here he comes walking on the water. And they were very afraid, but what Jesus said to them was, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. And in the Greek, you know what he really said? He said, I am. Don't be afraid. It really was another I am statement. And what he was saying is, never fear, I am is here. And can I just ask, is I am in your boat? Because never fear, I am is here. And you do not have to give in to a spirit of fear. Because when Jesus comes into your boat, what happened next is that they were completely, and I mean, immediately translated to the other side. Another miracle happened. And the people began to question, how did you get here? 
how did you get here? And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, because they began to ask him, are you going to feed us again? They wanted more food for their bellies, but Jesus began to teach them. He is the capital bread of capital life, L-I-F-E. And they were asking for the real uh, physical kind of bread. But what Jesus was saying is that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. And he who believes in and cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me will never thirst anymore at any time. Jesus covered the bread and the water, didn't he? And the Jews, still being earthly-minded, they kept saying, isn't this just Jesus, the son of Joseph? And you know, people will do that. They will limit. And Jesus, again, had to say to them, I am the bread of life. They didn't quite understand, did they? But what is the result of eating the bread of life? That you'll never be hungry and you'll never thirst. You know, the world gives us all kinds of ideas of what's going to satisfy. But there really is only one source of satisfaction, and that is the true bread of life. We can try eating many, many different things in life. It could be, you know, pursuing um, fame and fortune, and, and you think, well, if I just get this promotion or if this happens to me, then I'll be satisfied. But if it's not based in who Jesus is, the bread of life, it will never satisfy you will always be hungry again. And so we need to build our source of satisfaction in, on the bread of life. Every person has a deep hunger that needs to be satisfied. But our satisfaction is found only in Jesus. And you can go to him and ask him, and he will give, and he will give, and he will give, and he will give, and he will give until you're satisfied. It's really the only true contentment and satisfaction that we'll ever find is in Jesus. Can we go to the next PowerPoint? And I'd like us all to say this together, just to recognize what truths that we can come to from the bread of life. Let's say this together. Jesus is my bread of life, my source of spiritual food. When I eat of him, I am nourished and satisfied so that I will never hunger or thirst again. I will eat and eat and eat until I am well satisfied because Jesus is the source that never runs out. I will not look to the world or any other source to satisfy, for God is the only life source who can truly satisfy my deepest desires. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to move on to the second I am statement. And it's found in John 8, 12. In the next PowerPoint, it says, Jesus addressed the crowd and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Oh, there it is again. Bread of life, light of life. God is all, or Jesus is all about life, isn't he? I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Okay, so anybody know what's the context? What had just happened prior to Jesus saying this? Anybody know? I don't mind a shout out. That's okay. Eh, <laughs> you're right. No, I, I didn't know either, quite honestly. 
What had happened is um, when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. Okay, so now we're talking about I am the light of the world, and it's going to be connected to this very true story of the woman being caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees caught in the very act, which explains that, um, in verse 6 explains, they were testing Jesus because they asked him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such a woman should be stoned to death. But what do you say? And they were, and the next verse says, they were testing him. They were trying him. And they were hoping to find a charge on which to accuse him. But Jesus, in his wisdom, acted like he didn't even hear them. And he stooped down and he began writing in the dust with his finger. Let him, he did say, because they did persist with their question. But here's the, here's the trap that they were trying to set for him. They thought they'd outsmarted Jesus. They thought it was a lose-lose situation. They really had him because they were wondering, would Jesus break Moses' law and let her off the hook? Or would he break his own message of grace and love and forgiveness? But when they persisted with their question, it says that Jesus said this to them, let him who is without sin be the, among the first to throw a stone at her. Then he went back to writing on the ground. He let them think on that one. And it says, as you know, that one at a time, from the oldest down to the last, Jesus, they left, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court. What do you think was going through her mind? They had stones in their hand to throw at her. Did she sin? Absolutely. Is sin okay? Absolutely not. But now Jesus and her are alone. And I wonder if she just thought, oh man, here it comes. He's going to give it to me now. I deserve it. But instead, what does Jesus say to her? He says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And here's the interesting thing about their Mosaic law. They couldn't throw that stone. She could not be condemned to death without witnesses. That's why they had to have witnesses, and they were ready to condemn her and, and, and throw the stones at her. But now the witnesses were gone. And Jesus saved her life, didn't he? And now he says to her, where have they all gone? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus, um, he says to her, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way, and from now on, sin no more. And then Jesus turned to the crowd, and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not be walking in the dark, but will have the light, which is life. There's life again. He saved her life, and then he gave her life. Because he shed light in her darkness, I believe, and I'm going to look her up when I get to heaven, but I believe that she went and sinned no more. I totally believe that. Jesus actually confirms this. He says, he who follows me will not walk in the dark. You know, when we're, follow, when we're walking in the light, what happens to darkness when light shines in it? Darkness has to flee. 
And when we stay walking in the light and in truth and the light and, and follow after the light of the world, you're not going to find yourself in dark places, are you? It will keep you from sin. I truly believe that. And when you enjoy that relationship with Jesus as the light of the world in your life, I believe you'll lose your appetite for sin. I know it's happened to me. And I, I want to, I am now empowered to go and sin no more. And the other very, very important phrase that the light of the world said to her was, I do not condemn you. You know, the strength of sin is the law. Is what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, 56. See, he could have laid down the law with her and says, Lady, you know, you're a sinner. You're a dirty, rotten person. You know, you shouldn't be doing this. And you know what? That would not have empowered her to go and sin no more. In fact, this verse tells me that it actually strengthens sin in our lives. It might empower us to go and sin some more. Because it's just condemnation. But Romans 2, 4 says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus showed her goodness. And I believe her true repentance was found in wanting to, um, to live in that light. Because, you see, Jesus did not die for our behavior modification. He did not. But I do believe he died for our heart transformation. And I believe that day she uh, had an encounter with the light of the world and it, sh it shone his light into the darkness of her heart. And I believe that she was changed and transformed from that day forward. He not only saved her life, but he gave her the gift of life. Even John 1.14 says of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. But it called Him the light of life. And now our lives before Jesus, we were in darkness too. But now he brings a light of life and lives in us. Jesus completes us. He brings all of who he is. Amen. So let's just personalize this truth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not be walking in the dark, but will have the light, which is life. You know what? We need to eat from the bread of life. We need to feed on who Jesus is, which is what we're doing right now, isn't it? We're getting to know him in a new way. You know, Jesus said too, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word of God. And the word of God, as we know, is living, and it is truth, and it is life. And we need to walk in the light, even as he is light. He is light in us. I had an experience once um, when I was working at a bank, and I had a woman come up to me, and I don't know much about this, but I believe maybe she really did see something, but she came up to me and she said, you have the most beautiful light around you. And I was going like, okay, and I didn't know this woman. She goes, in fact, it's just like a rainbow just surrounding you. 
And I, she was going to begin to talk to me about chakras and things like that, and I just interrupted her, and I said, I said, all that I can tell you is that if you see something good in me, it's because Jesus lives in me. And I don't know, maybe, maybe people who have that, those kinds of connections, a lot of times in the wrong kinds of spirits, but she saw something, and I believe if she saw anything, she saw Jesus. I really do believe that, the light of the world. Because you are carriers of his presence. You are carriers of that light, the light of the world. Let's go to the last um, PowerPoint here. Again, we're going to seal the deal here, and let's just, let's just say this together. Um, release faith, receive it. And this is what we want to say together. Jesus is the light of my life. I am no longer in the dark. I do not live in spiritual darkness. The source of light himself shines brightly in me. I am bathed in his light. His light drives out all darkness in my life. His light is life to me. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You light up my life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light of our lives and you light us up. You light, you bring light to dark places. And Father, right now, thank you that your light is not there to expose but to drive out darkness. We invite you right now, Father, if there's any place of darkness in our lives, in our hearts, would you just shine your light in that place? Darkness can't stay when light comes. And we just thank you, Father, for driving out darkness with the light because you are the light of the world. And Father, we just want to come to you as our source. Our source, if we're empty in any area of our life, Father, we surrender that to you and we look to you as our source, our sustenance, our very satisfaction. And I don't know, I just feel like you should just ask God for something big right now. Trust that he wants to give and give. If you thought God was stingy and didn't want to give and give and give, and you had had a hard time asking him, would you just trust that he's a big God and he has a big love for you and he wants you to be satisfied in every area of your life? What is that big ask you have of our big, big God? Healing's not hard for God. He says, I've got that. Now I can meet that bill. Will you trust me? That child that's walked away. <laughs> Don't lose your hope. I am full pursuit of his heart, her heart, 24-7. Will you trust me? Ask big, because I'm a big God.
somebody's asking for a job promotion, God wants to promote you. He'll show you how. He'll show you your part. Father, we never want to be afraid to ask. You are a good, good God. Jesus, you showed us <laughs> that he's kind and generous and gives and gives and gives until we're satisfied. And we find our satisfaction and our light in you. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Praise God.